Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. And now, tonight's presentation of radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Tonight, we bring you a story of a ghost town and a practical joke that wasn't. We call it Hollywood Hostages. So now, starring Eve McVeigh and Tom Brown, here is tonight's suspense play, Hollywood Hostages. Murder. <laughs> no director in Hollywood except the boy genius would have sent us out here. There must be a ghost town closer to Hollywood. There is. Beverly Hills after midnight. I don't get it. Get what? Why he has to come to the middle of the desert to shoot this stuff. I can design sets that look a lot more like desert than this. Oh, realism, my dear. Well, Murphy does make good pictures. Uh. The peasants know the difference. A picture's a picture. I'd settle right now for the picture of a drink. Well, look out at the sand. For what? Maybe you'll see a mirage with a driver. <laughs> How come everything on this road is closed? Same reason Potterville closed. Ghost town used to be a tourist trap. And the new freeway bypassed it. No tourists. No trap, just this lousy road. I wonder how Murphy found out about this place. From another zombie. What's your knock on Murphy? I hate practical jokers. Is your first crack at a Murphy picture? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got a million laughs coming, if you live through. He can't be that bad. Oh, you don't know how far that guy goes. I know him good. Too good. You know what he did the day I got married? He had his lawyer file suit for divorce in my name. That's not very funny. Mm -hmm. And last year, I go to Florida to find an alligator farm. Murphy calls a pal who puts my picture in every post office. Post office? Sure, saying I'm wanted by the cops in Detroit. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Hilarious when I got picked up, too. The cops down there wired Detroit. Detroit wired they were sending a detective to bring me back. I was in a can a week before Murphy had him let me out. Uh, I told that boy genius this morning, though. One more of his jokes this trip, and he gets himself a new location scout. I don't need him. I can always go back to being an unemployed comic. Tommy? Yeah? Is that the ghost town out there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be. Part of it was 180 miles from Hollywood. The speedometer says 170. Oh, dandy. Ten more miles, and we'll be no place.
hurts bad, Tex. Just hang on, partner. We get inside, you, you can lay down. Man, look at them cobwebs. Ain't nobody opened that door for a spell. In we go, partner. Ain't no furniture, Fred. Just you lay down here. Uh, on the floor. Oh, I, I know, Fred. Them bullets hurt real bad. Doc, I, I need a doc. Fred, you seen for yourself. Ain't no doctor here. Ain't a living soul in this town excepting us. But, Texas, I'll die. Yeah. Uh, guess you will, that. Too bad, but no sense in me oh, waiting. Tex, you can't just walk out. Staying and dying with you ain't gonna be much help, is it? It's up to the others. Don't guess they'd be bust up splitting the bank money two ways instead of four. <coughs> Must have already got to my place. I, I can't keep Lord, waiting. Tex, don't leave me. Well, there ain't much else I can do, Fred. You just got a real bad piece of luck. That cop don't nick our gas tank, we'd have been at the cabin. So long, Fred. Tex, no, please. Grab your gun. I knew you would walk out. Grab your gun and drag yourself to this window. A car's coming. Cops? It's too far to tell. It must be. This road don't go nowhere else. How'd they know we were here? That cop who shot the gas tank. Maybe I didn't get him. I don't see no car. It's hidden now by one of them dunes. There. Yeah. Now be ready. They are cops. We both better be shooting. to Powderville. Well, at least you've got no trouble parking. Got your camera? Mm-hmm. Creepy-looking, John, huh? Yeah. Now, hold it, Tommy. I want to get a shot of this board sidewalk. Oh, yeah. You can't hardly get them no more. <laughs> Step back a little. You, uh, like those Polaroid cameras? Mm, great. You get your picture in a minute. Yeah. If it comes up wrong, you shoot another one. Uh -huh. Now we pull the film through till it clicks. And the picture develops by itself. Well, come on, let's case the joint while that shot's cooking, huh? Better get a shot of that uh, Wells Fargo office. Okay. Sure. Leave Wells Fargo out of a western, you can't get a seal of approval. Tommy. And it... Listen. You... You hear anything? <laughs> sure. Boards in the sidewalk. They squeak like three dollar shoes. No. No, a voice. Oh, oh, yeah, sure, sure. Well, that's from inside that place, the hotel. It's Conrad Hilton buying the joint. No, I heard a man's voice. 
Well, that sounds stronger than it looks. I mean it. Sure, sure. Okay, you did hear a man's voice. So come on, let's make with the snapshots and curl up with a good bartender, huh? you gonna take? I'm just about finished. Mm-hmm. Get one of that blacksmith shop? Mm, not yet. Let's go around the corner first so I can get... Hey, kid. Drop the other shoe. Tommy, that car, those holes in the windshields. Air conditioning. They're, they're bullet holes. I now pronounce you J. Edgar Hoover. What do you suppose? That car's a prop. It wouldn't be a kosher ghost town without a bullet-riddled car. Oh? Sure, <laughs> you jumpy. Too much fresh air will do that. Well, I'll get this shot at the hotel. Another one at the hotel? Mm, I need this angle. Well, go ahead. I'll go look around. Hang in a minute. Ah! Grace! What is it? A, a man. A what? No, I, I saw a man. Oh, come on now, No, kid. honest, I got him. You what? In the picture. Well, what did he pose as? He, he stuck his head out of the door just as I was taking the picture. Yeah? Well, then what happened? I looked up. And he was gone? Yes. But... Oh, honey, the way you dramatize, you... There he is. Hey. He's running to our car. Yeah, and I left the keys in it. Come on. Hey. Hey, you. Dirty little. No good. Conniving. You know him? No, not that guy in the car, but don't you get it? He was planted. Planted? Yeah, to grab our car and strand us in the middle of the desert. Oh, I can hear that Murphy laughing now. Murphy? Natch! This isn't funny. No, it is to him. We've got no fault, no water, no food, and it's 23 miles to the nearest main highway. <laughs> Tommy. Yeah. Got another cigarette? Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Oh, can I have one? Well, as soon as Murph sends the car back, they're in the glove compartment. Mm, thanks, loads. Oh, I told you. Murphy's a million laughs. Mm, those clouds are coming this way. That's all we need now. Rain. How long do you think we'll be here? Till Murphy stops laughing. It's almost four o'clock now. Oh, Tommy, I, I felt a drop of rain. Yeah, me too. On your feet. Come on. Where? Every roof is full of holes. Well, a hotel's two stories. Maybe the water's not coming all the way down. That's where Murphy's friend came from. Come on, let's run. Careful on the steps. Oh, I'm soaked. Yeah, and if you get pneumonia, Murphy laughs all the time you're in the hospital. It's a tie-up with Blue Cross. Oh, let's go inside. Go ahead. Oh, thanks. Hmm. Cheery little spot. Mm. Charles Adams does the decoration. Well, at least it's dry in here. And... <gasps> now what? By the window. On the floor. 
man. There... There's blood on his shirt. He's alive. Natch, don't you get it? It ain't blood, it's ketchup. He's another Murphy stooge from Central Casting. You sure? Look, kid, I'm a veteran. Six pictures with Murphy. Now, come on. Come on, back to the porch. All right, all right. Keep groaning, kid. You'll win an Academy Award. I'm cold. Let's go inside. And listen to that bum play Russian comedy? We've got to do something. Like to play a chucker polo? How about walking to the highway? Oh, not in that water. Not giving Murphy that satisfaction. His conscience has to bother him sometimes. He's got a cast iron heart. Tommy. What? A car. That is a car, isn't it? Mm-hmm. If it was on the main highway, we couldn't see it, could we? No. No, it's headed here, all right. Oh, he finally took pity. All right. He's human. <laughs> Actually, now that it's over, it wasn't a bad joke. Oh, he may not be through yet. What else can he do once we get the car back? Wait till he opens the door on this side. I'd hate to wait this long and then drown on the sidewalk. Well... I hope you called Murphy and he got a real big laugh. Oh, no, no, you don't have to come up here for us. Tommy, Just open the car door. He's got a gun. Oh, brother, that Murphy keeps a joke going longer than any... Get he'll... back. Look, the joke is over. Let's go. You ain't a going no place. Oh, yes, we are. Now, I've had enough I of this. I ain't never and... shot a lady yet. But, man, there's always a first time. Now, both of you, get back inside. listening to Hollywood Hostages, tonight's presentation in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. In the long run, the security of a free country rests in the hands of its civilian soldiers. Professionals have their indispensable place, but the efficiency, strength, Readiness and the morale of our reserve components are vital. These are the words of President Eisenhower. This week, the nation is concentrating on National Defense Week as a tribute to our highly trained civilian reservists. More than a thousand chapters of reserve officers, clubs around the country are observing National Defense Week with parades, meetings, and dinners. The rest of us join them in saluting the fine job the reservists do Every week of every year. And now, we bring back to our Hollywood soundstage Tom Brown and Eve McVeigh, starring in tonight's production, Hollywood Hostages, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense.
mister. Yeah, ma'am? You bring any food? I'm sorry, ma'am. <laughs> they all want to play Gary Cooper. How long do we have to stay here? You can't rightly say. Look, we've got some place to go. Me too. Mighty important for me to get through that roadblock by the freeway, but... What do you care about the roadblock? Whole flock of cops up there. So? They're looking for four of us. Held up the bank this morning, over in Desert City. You? Fred there, by the window. He's one. I'm another. All right. I'll give you the straight line. Who are the other two? Groucho and Harpo? No, sir. Sit down. Tommy, this might not be a joke. Okay, you want to stay and chat? Go ahead. I'm leaving. Tommy! Now, look, pal. I know Murphy can keep a gag running longer than Oklahoma, but... I missed you that time because I wanted to. Next time might be different. Can't you even tell us one thing? What's that, ma'am? Look, I've got a date tonight. How long did Murphy hire you for? Murphy? Honey, he can't let on until the Marines rescue us in the nick of time. And then that bum on the floor gets up. You had not to be talking like that about Fred. He was a nice fella. If I was you, I'd cut out them wisecracks. Oh, you should have caught me when I played the palace. I used to make a thousand people at a time wish I'd cut out them wisecracks. Oh, come on, pal. You got your laugh, so let's blow the joint, huh? We ain't leaving. Why not? Well, I told you, ma'am. There's a roadblock. Okay. Well, Miss Murphy, don't take us so sorry. I don't care how long we stay. But I'm hungry. Oh, he won't stop us. That bad he is. Hey, I got me an idea. Maybe we don't have to stay here. Oh, no, you're cooking. Them uh, cops, they ain't looking for you. If you was to sit in front, me in back, Hmm. Yeah. That's uh, real smart of me. Come on. Say, uh, pal. Yeah? How about uh, itty-bitty buddy on the floor? How's he getting back? My camel? Wish we could take Fred. Well, there's plenty of room in the back. Fred! Well, that's nice of you, ma'am, but we better be going without him. Wait here with him, Grace. I'll open the car doors. Come on. I'm uh, getting under the blanket back here. Do we have to keep playing? Lady, just you and him don't say nothing wrong. When we get to that there roadblock... Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Because you'll have that there shooting iron pointing at my head. That's right. Yeah, I know that whole bit. <laughs> Mister, I don't rightly know why, but I like you. Guess maybe it's because you don't scare you. Oh, I've been working for Murphy too long. But no more. I've had enough. A minute we hit Hollywood, I'm through. <laughs> Roadblock is right up ahead of piece. I reckon so, partner. Mister, I told you once. I don't like folks making fun of me. Tommy, please. Now, I'm uh, getting under this here blanket again. Mm-hmm. Sweet dreams. You better slow down. Now, don't you start giving me orders. Shouldn't we get in that line? Huh? 
Oh, I guess so. What a night. Murphy's probably having a party at Forest Lawn. There's a police car. Well, how do you think they blocked the road with meatballs? Remember what I said. Oh, I'll never forget that. Four score and seven years. The policeman's waving his flashlight. Uh, uh, okay. Now the window's stuck. Good evening. No comment. Uh, we're looking for two men. One about five feet, seven inches tall, black hair, around 30 years of age. He might be wounded. <gasps> the other man's about six feet, one inch tall, about 35 years old. Blonde hair, and he was wearing blue jeans and cowboy boots. Yes, officer. We haven't yeah. seen them. Okay. Thank you. Tommy. Lady, you almost just got killed. Tommy, what's wrong with you? Why didn't you and tell the officer? let Murphy tell everybody at the Derby he scared me so much I copped a plea. No, ma'am. But the policeman, he described this one. And the man on the floor back in Powderville. Sure, I told you how far Murphy goes. He's even got the cops in on this one. <laughs> Stopped raining. Bully, that makes my whole day. Slow up, mister. What for? Turn off this here road just over the hill. But but that's not the way back to Hollywood. We ain't a-going back to Hollywood, ma'am. Where are we a-going? Meet them other two fellas. They got the money. They threw it in their car when we run out of the bank. Tommy, it's true. Look, look, suppose I believe you. Now, now mind you, I'm not Don't rightly you. seem to matter. What happens after we get to their cabin? We'll be crossing that bridge when we come to it, ma'am. Here, mister. Turn off here. Okay. That's uh, fine. Now, just keep a driving up into them hills. Drive around to the side. Oh, you only use the front way and form a closer. Turn off the motor. Now, give me the keys. Oh, now, come on, pal. How far do you want give an idiot to... Give me the keys. To... Tommy, please. Here. Thank you, ma'am. Now what happens? I'm going in the side here. You two go knock on the front door. Why? I'd just like to be sure my friends ain't a plan to know... Surprise for me. You mean... Just do like I say. Open the door. Now, go knock on the front door. Look, why should we... Okay, I've seen more guns today than Gene Autry. Come on, Grace. Can we run for it? Where? Any place. Oh, too dark, too far to the highway. Tommy! Oh, now I'm sure this is a Murphy gag. Are you crazy? Somebody inside's been Honey, shot. Honey, in a minute that door will open and old Tex will say, I guess you folks can come in now. But, but those were gunshots. Sure. And inside we'll see two more guys playing dead. It's him. Hatch. 
Yes, you folks can come in now. Hark, the evening coyotes. Tommy. What? How can you? Oh, stiff upper, old girl. Tommy, I'm scared. What's he doing in that room? Probably calling Murphy and giving him a blow by blow. But those two men on the floor and the money, that was real money. Murphy always goes for good props. Now, honey, use your head. Look, if those two guys were going to double cross him, would they wait here till he got back? No, they just walk out with the loot. Maybe it's like he said. They needed some place to hide, but they didn't need him to take a share. I can tell a Murphy story when I hear one. Oh, I'll get the gas chamber for killing Murphy, but it'll be worth it. Okay. Come on. You too, ma'am. We really going home? Just partway. As far as the cliff. Oh, oh, that does it. If Murphy thinks he's throwing in a hokey bit like pushing the car off the cliff... Shut up. I'm not... Tommy, he isn't fooling. You're right, lady. Now, both of you turn and walk out that door. When we get to the car, we'll... Don't move! Huh? Don't move! I'll take that gun. This time, Parker, we got stronger cuts. All right, hold him out. One of you own this camera? Uh, me? Where did you find it, officer? One of our men found it in the hotel at the old ghost town. Looked inside, saw the last picture you took. The last picture? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, the one where he stuck his head out of the door. That's right. We recognized him, got a tip on his cabin, and made it here as quick as we could. <laughs> Did I tell you? Tell me what? In the nick of time, in popped the Marine. <laughs> Mister, I got to hand it to you. You took this pretty calm. Okay. Okay, now let's cut the clowning, huh? Well... Didn't you know? He Tex Parker, wanted for three murders, and from the looks of it, he's two more over there. <laughs> Those guys dead. Who are you kidding? I'm not kidding, buddy. Okay. Oh, okay, so the guy's finished now, huh? All right. Okay, boys. Okay, boys, wake up. Wake up. Time for wakey. Don't call us. We'll call you. Tommy, don't. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Hey. Hey, that, that's not ketchup. They are dead. Tommy. Okay, lady. We'll go as soon as we can bring him to. Suspense in which Eve McVeigh and Tom Brown starred in tonight's presentation of Hollywood Hostages. Next week, we bring you the true story of five polar explorers and their race against death. We call it The Diary of Captain Scott. That's next week on Suspense. is produced and directed in Hollywood by Anthony Ellis. Tonight's script was written by Jerry Lewis. The music was composed by Lucian Morrowick and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. Featured in the cast were Don Diamond, Frank Gerstle, and John Larch. 
A hot money racket proves to be a shortcut to the cooler once the FBI in peace and war goes into action tomorrow night. Harassed by personal debt, the cashier at the $50 window at a large racetrack falls for a big-time racketeer's scheme for passing stolen money through the betting window. But before he can solve his personal financial problems, the FBI in peace and war gets on his trail, and not long after that, another welcome mat appears, right outside the gate to the penitentiary. For a -a thrill-a-minute drama, don't miss the FBI in peace and war at this same time tomorrow night. Stay tuned for five minutes of CBS News to be followed on most of these stations by The Jack Carson Show. The Radio Workshop presents the new and unusual Friday nights on the CBS Radio Network. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. We need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And now, tonight's presentation of radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Tonight, we bring you the true story of five polar explorers and their race against death. We call it the Diary of Captain Scott. So now, starring Ben Wright, here is tonight's suspense play, The Diary of Captain Scott. Wednesday, January the 18th, 1912. Camp 69. Temperature, minus 22 degrees. A.M., the South Pole. We have arrived, yes, but under very different circumstances from those expected. We have had a horrible day. Elation ran high all morning since we were nearing our goal and thought to be the first five men to reach the pole. But our hopes were dashed 
when Evans sighted a flag and a tent near the spot. The Norwegians have forestalled us and are first to get here. In the empty tent, under the name of their leader, Roald Amundsen, were listed the five men who are with him. It's a terrible disappointment, and I'm very sorry for my loyal companions. Ah, there's no doubt of it now. They did find an easier way up over the barrier. We thought as much back at Cape Armitage. Well, it's a rotten shame, men, and I'm sorry. Good Lord, Captain Scott, you've done everything you could. Well, there's more to do. More for all of us. 800 miles, as a matter of fact. Are you ready to start back, Evans? No, I can't think of a reason to stay in this miserable place. Is the sledge ready, Oaks? A bit frozen in, I suppose. Yes, I imagine. Wilson, do you vote to start? Oh, the faster the better, Captain. Well, Bowers, can you get a sight and start us off on course? Well, the sky's a bit overcast, but I think so. Yes, uh, I think I can. We'll go then as quickly as we can. A minute saved here will mean a minute more of comfort aboard the ship. <laughs> January the 18th, temperature minus 20 p.m. The moment of departure is here. It is impossible to collect our thoughts, since few of them are voiced. But I know that the same are with all of us. Can we pull the heavy sledge that great distance, 800 miles over trackless, windswept barrier and drift? Can we find the carefully arranged supply camps we left on our trail? Can we trust our navigation instruments? Can we survive? January the 20th, night camp. Temperature minus 25.6. Came along well this afternoon for three hours, then a rather dreary finish for the last hour and a half. The weather, very curious. Snow clouds looking very dense and spoiling the light pass overhead from the south, dropping very minute crystals which absolutely spoil the surface. We had extremely heavy dragging and we were forced to stop when Wilson suddenly discovered that Evans' nose was frostbitten. There's no doubt that Evans is a good deal run down. His face and hands are badly blistered. Oaks, too. Now Bowers comes into the tent to report his last sighting. I can't get an accurate one with this sky. I, I don't like it. I don't like it either. What do you think it means? The weather's breaking up? I don't know, Oates. How accurate was your sight, Bowers? I can't be sure. I should say that if we aren't on our line of march, that we're very close. And a few points could be quite important. I know, but our next camp is no more than seven miles. Well, that simply means that we're seven miles off schedule. I'd plan to be there tonight. I can go on, Captain. I feel better now. No, Evans, no. We'll stay the night and get up early in the morning. But we must have fewer delays. January the 21st. Temperature, minus 30.4. This morning, while freeing the sledge from ice, Evans slashed his hand. I'm afraid the poor chap is in for trouble, as wounds will not close in this cold and we absolutely cannot spare the time to camp as our rations are very low, as well as our fuel. January 28th, night camp. Temperature minus 27. The miles continue to fall behind us, but with painful slowness. 
Our diet and with it our general condition has improved since finding our half-degree supply camp. Only 42 miles to the next one. But we are not without ailments. Oates is suffering from a very cold foot. Evans' hands and face are in a horrible state, and tonight Wilson is suffering tortures from snow blindness. Bowers and I are the only ones without troubles at present. Don't, don't try to help, Evans. Just hold to the sledge. I wasn't helping, Captain, but I've got to rest anyway. I get dizzy. Don't sit down, Evans. Stay up on your feet. Can't we put him in his sleeping bag? Put him on the sledge? No, I won't do that. We can pull him. I won't do it. If it's for the good of the rest of us, Evans, no. I'll stay here first. Then if it's an order. No, not that kind of an order. I won't be dragged on by the rest of you. Uh, then you've got to come along. Seven or eight more miles, Evans. And then we'll be stopping for some rest. And a hot meal. I'm not thinking of those miles. How many more seven miles are there? Let's cover these. How boys. many more? Evans! I'll do the best I can. I'm sure of it, Evans. And everything will be all right. Yes, sir. All right. Now, there'll be hot food in a few more hours. Let's move on. February the 11th. Temperature minus 26.2. The worst day we have had during the trip and greatly owing to our own fault. We started on a wretched surface, pulling on ski. The light was horrible. Dulled by fog, it made everything look fantastic. As we went on, the light grew worse. If we found ourselves in pressure. Then came the fatal decision to steer east. The disturbance grew worse. And my spirits received a very rude shock. The farther we plunged ahead, the less possible it seemed that we could find a way out. Struggled until 9 p.m. and could do nothing more but make camp. There is no getting away from the fact that we are not pulling strong. Your eyes, Wilson, how are they? Better? I, I think. Right, let me see. Yes, I think they are. Oh, Evans. Evans! Yes? What do you say? Was I saying something? I didn't think I was. I thought I was asleep. And perhaps you were. Know what you were saying, Evans? You were naming the schools that donated sledges for the expedition. Oh, I thought I was asleep. I must have been dreaming about home. I like it better there than I do here. I mean, I like dreaming about it. I like it asleep. You'll get as much rest as you can, Evans. We'll want an early start. Uh, you Ertz, how's your foot? It's better, Captain. Bothers a bit in the morning, but then it gets better. Good. How do you make it so well, Captain? Why, because I know that everything is going to be all right. Just cheering us up, do you really think so? No, oh, of course I think so. 
You know as well as I what splendid planning we've had. Everything's going precisely as it should, with the line of supply camps right back to the ship. All we've got to do is to follow it. February the 17th. A very terrible day, although we got out of the turmoil. Evans looked a little better after a good sleep and declared that he was all right. He started in his place on the traces, but half an hour later, he had to leave the sledge and follow behind. At the first rest stop, he came up very slowly. He stayed with us for a while and then dropped out again. We tried to pull him onto the sledge, but hadn't the strength. And so he had to walk again and again fell behind. At lunch camp, we saw him coming far astern. And when we looked again, he had fallen. Evans, Evans, is he alive? Wait, huh? Yes, get him up on his feet and get him moving. Come on, Evans. Evans, Evans. Uh, let me go. Walk, uh, walk, man, walk, Evans. I don't want to. Go uh... on, get the others, Bowers, and bring the sledge. Right. Evans, Evans, will you listen to me? You can't lie there. You've got to move. Evans, come on, get up. You'll have to do it. I can't lift you. Over there. Over there by the tree. No French. And we got him into the tent. He was quite comatose. And he died quietly at 12.30 p.m. It is a... Terrible thing to lose a companion that way. His passing is a frightfully personal thing to each of us. As is usual, our doubts and fears are not voiced. But I don't think that one of us does not wonder how many of the remaining four can survive. the 22nd, night camp. Temperature minus 22.9. There is little doubt that we're in for a rotten, critical time going home, and the lateness of the season may make it really serious. We never won a march of eight and a half miles with greater difficulty than we did today. We have come now a bit more than half the distance, which leaves almost 400 distressing miles of dragging still before us. On the bright side, we found another supply camp and have 10 full days of provisions and have less than 70 miles to the next camp. February the 25th, night camp. Temperature minus 23.2. A little despondent again. It's a really terrible service. It surely will be a bad business if we are to have this pulling all the way through. I don't know what to think, but the closing of the season is ominous. Oates' foot is almost completely gone, and he is helpless. It leaves the pulling up to Wilson, almost totally blind now, Bowers and myself, and we do not do well at all. The truth is that there is not enough energy in our rations. Without tremendous intakes of energy in this cold, the physical system suffers. The mental system, too. There is little communication between us in the tent at night now. 
Yes? What is it, Scott? What? I... I thought I heard something. I thought you said something, didn't you? No. Bowers. I've got to talk to you, Bowers. Of course. I... I... Bowers, I'm, I'm terribly worried. I, I didn't think it was you that called. I heard my wife. Under these conditions, hardly... No, wait, let me tell you. It started last night. I was with her, Bowers, and it wasn't a dream. I was lying awake looking up at the peak of the tent, and suddenly I was with her in our library at home. You must have been dreaming. No, I wasn't. I could feel everything, smell everything, the perfume she was wearing, the warmth from the fire. I was warm, Bowers. I was warm even after I came back here. No dream can accomplish that. I went home. I held her in my arms. We went up to see our son. It was night and he was asleep. And then we went back to the library and sat before the fire. And it was warm. I'm sorry that he's asleep, Bob, but it's late. Oh, I know. There'll be time. You know what tales I'll have to tell him. Of courageous men serving their country. Hmm? I'll make him proud to be an Englishman. I'm sure he will be, darling. Above all, we must guard him against indolence. We must make him a, a strenuous man, interest him in natural history. That's better than games. He'll be a good man. And you, Kate. Oh, if I... If I could tell you of the millions of thoughts I've had of you. I was with you, I think. I worried, sir. I knew you must have been suffering. Well, there was some. There's bound to be when a fetus as great as ours. The years of planning... 800 miles we marched to the pole, and 800 back. But what wealth we brought to the scientists, and, and what honor we brought to England. Your home, darling, and that's more important than science and honor. Your home, and you won't ever go away again. No. No, I've served my term of duty, I think. I shall collect and arrange my notes. Perhaps I shall write a book and describe the bottom of the world and living there. But never go back. It drifts snow, like finest flower flickering up under one's clothing and stinging as a sandblast. The great cloudy columns of snow drift advancing from the south and heralding the storm. But never go back. No, I like it here. I'm warm. Warm. I'm warm. It was a dream, Scott. Good Lord, it's nothing to worry about. It was not a dream. All of your senses don't coordinate in a dream. You don't smell and touch and feel. Well, I... I told you. I see. It was the first sign of a breakdown. I wanted you to know. Of course it isn't. You're in splendid shape. Thanks, Bowers. I owe you a great deal. Oh, nonsense. At least I owe you the, the privilege of getting some sleep. Good night, Bowers. Good night. March the 1st, lunch. Very cold last night, minimum minus 41.5. But our fortunes have changed. At least the future looks brighter. Bowers' excellent navigating has kept us precisely on course, and on it we found an unexpected supply tent containing rations and a note addressed to me. The men at the Cape had taken it upon themselves to change plans, for which we are very happy. The next camp, we expected only supplies, has been enlarged and manned. We are to be met there with dog sledges. At that point, our dragging days are finished. And only 24 and a half miles away.
March the 2nd. Nightcap. All the elation of yesterday has been crushed. Misfortune really comes singly. This day we have suffered three distinct blows. First, through some oversight, our fuel oil supply is less than half of what we thought it was. Second, Titus Oates disclosed his feet. They show very bad indeed. They'll never be saved. Lastly, the weather has turned on us. Blizzard conditions are extreme. We are in a very tight place indeed. But none of us is despondent. Or at least none shows it. March the 10th. Things steadily going downhill. Midday. Minus 43. Blizzard still with us. Oats unable to go on, so I camped at noon. I've covered only 11 miles in the eight days past. Captain? Yes, sir. It's quite difficult to say this so without something heroic. I'm going to die, and I know it. No, you aren't, Oates, and you mustn't talk like that. Yes, no, Captain. I know I am, and I'm not afraid, sir. You stop that, Oates. I know what I'm saying, sir. The quicker it happens, the better. I'm not going to hold you the rest of you back. I know I felt about poor Evans. He was holding us back, and I knew he was going to die. I was angry with him for keeping on as long as he did. Oates! What kind of talk is that, Oates? It's the truth, and I don't care. When he was holding us back, I knew there was no chance for him. I wanted him to die. I don't know what the rest of you are thinking, but that's what I was. Now I'm holding you back, and I won't have it. I want you to leave me. We'll not leave you, Oates. No, please, Captain, I'm not afraid. I, I'd really like to go, sir. I'm tired, and it hurts, sir. I, I'd like to go to sleep and not wake up. I've no family to leave like the rest of you have. We won't leave you, Oates. You'll know that. But please, Captain. What if I did get through? There isn't a chance. What if I did? I... I'd have my feet cut off. I'd rather die than have that done. Please, Captain, I'm not thinking of anybody but myself. I, I want it that way. I'll get into my sleeping bag and I'll go to sleep. I... I'm not afraid I want to. We... We can't do that, Oates, even if we agreed with you. We couldn't leave you. Please, Captain. You know I'm right, sir. All of you know. Please, Captain. Please, sir. March 16th or 17th. I've lost track of dates, but I think the last is correct. Poor Titus Oates is gone. Should this journal be found, I want these facts recorded. This was his end. He woke in the morning yesterday. It was blowing a blizzard. He said, I'm just going outside. Shan't be long. He went out into the blizzard. And we have not seen him since. March 18, night camp. We're still about 14 miles away from the sledge camp, but ill fortune presses. My right foot has gone. 
Two days ago, I was proud possessor of the best feet. And now one is gone. But my companions are still confident of getting through. I don't know. We have the last fill of oil in our primus. This alone between us and thirst. March the 21st. Got within 11 miles of dog sledge camp yesterday, but blizzard forced us to lie up. We cannot move against it. We do not dare to leave the tent. We would surely die if we did. If conditions do not... I didn't see you. It's so nice in the sun, I thought I'd sit out for a bit. Yes, it is nice. Nothing like this at your precious South Pole. Well, nothing like this, no. Down there, even when the sun is high, it's always weak and diffused, you know? And because of the reflection from the ice from every side, there, there never is a definite shadow. There's always a, a number of shadows on any man or subject. I would say that your South Pole would drive anyone to insanity. Well, I think it has. And then, when it's low, the sun... There's a never-ending twilight that holds today and yesterday together for months instead of moments. I remember when we reached the pole, the endless white deserts undulating but offering nothing to stop the frigid winds that sweep endlessly on. I think you love it. No, I hate it. Because five men marched to the pole and they say they've conquered it. But they haven't. It will conquer them. You'll never go back, will you? No. I didn't want you to go, remember? I was afraid that you wouldn't come back. Do you remember when I said that? Oh, yes, yes, I remember. I laughed at you, didn't I? <laughs> I was such a coward. I laughed and told you that I'd conquer it just for you. That I'd name a glacier for you. <laughs> and I asked you how a woman should act when a glacier is named after her. Well, I didn't name a glacier for you, but I... I thought of you, Kate. I thought and dreamed of you so often. It's important that you know that. Scott! Kate, I love you. And at this sacrifice... Scott! Hmm? What? Oh, yeah, yes, Bowers. <laughs> Wilson. Dead. Oh? Wilson? Oh. Wilson is dead. March the 29th. Since the 21st, Bowers and I, surviving Wilson, have had a continuous gale and blizzard from west-southwest and southwest. We had fuel to make two cups of tea apiece and bare food for two days on the 20th. Every day we've been ready to start for the dog sledge camp 11 miles away. But outside the door of the tent at remains a scene of whirling drift. I do not think we can hope for any better things now. We shall stick it out to the end, but we are getting weaker, of course, and the end cannot be far. It seems a pity, but I 
do not think that I can write much more. This rough journal and our dead bodies must tell the story. In dying, we ask no more than following year, an expedition formed by Captain Scott's comrades at the main depot at Cape Armitage set out and found his body, along with that of Bowers and Wilson. Search was carried on for Oates and Evans, but they were never found. A great cairn was built at the site of Scott's final camp, a trivial monument to the courage of five men, and especially to the complete devotion to duty of Robert Falcon Scott, who, until his dying breath, continued to keep a record of the fatal journey. Suspense in which Ben Wright starred in tonight's presentation of The Diary of Captain Scott. Next week, we bring you the story of three convicts on a road gang in Florida who planned the perfect escape through the Everglades. We call it Quiet Night. That's next week on... Suspense. is produced and directed in Hollywood by Anthony Ellis. Tonight's script was adapted for suspense by Gil Dowd. The music was composed by Lucian Morawieck and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. Featured in the cast were Ellen Morgan, Jay Novello, Richard Peel, Raymond Lawrence, Hans Conried, and George Walsh. For another fast-moving demonstration of how the FBI in peace and war fights crime, don't miss the next dramatic episode over most of these same stations tomorrow night at this time. Stay tuned for five minutes of CBS News to be followed on most of these same stations by The Jack Carson Show. The Radio Workshop presents the new and unusual Friday nights on the CBS Radio Network.
With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.